0: Wow, hello and welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the very first episode of The Ha Ha Wall. It's a new podcast hosted by me, Tim Combley. I am an amateur comedian, originally from the UK, but currently based in Auckland, New Zealand. I'm going to be talking to people involved in the comedy scene here in Auckland and beyond, as well as interesting people I meet along the way. For the first episode, we have the very funny Danny Field. Danny's very well known on the Auckland open mic scene. Unfortunately, he's just left us to return to the UK. So check him out on the London scene. Danny was an awesome first guest. We have a great chat. It does get a bit deep at times, but we do get a really great insight into Danny's ethos on life and how he uses humour to get through the rough times. For anyone who doesn't know him, we're going to be listening to a clip recorded at the Classic in Auckland not long ago to show you just how funny and talented he is. Then we're going to go straight into part one of the interview with part two coming in episode two, which I'll be releasing in a few days' time. Before that, I would like to thank Mike Boyd, aka Sword in Air, for making the theme tune. Mike's a really great friend of mine. We used to play in a band together many moons ago, so thanks so much for sorting out that tune for me. I really do appreciate you listening, so any comments you may have, positive or negative, I would really love to hear them all. I want you to keep coming back and listening to all the episodes I put up, so please do let me know how I can make this an entertaining podcast for you. Enough from me, Danny Field, take it away. Thank you very much, thank you.
1: Uh, my name's Danny, but my dad <coughs> calls me Ken. It's short for, for Ken Useless. <laughs> I've nervous doing public speaking, I've been thinking about this all day, and my stomach's been playing up. And I've been shitting myself. (laughs) But I read online that stand-up comedy is an exchange of energy between the performer and the audience. So I hope you've all been drinking your fluids. (laughs) Uh,
2: I'm living
1: in a hostel at the moment. Is anyone living in a hostel? Oh, that was surprisingly energetic. And uh, the hostel I'm living in has got a lot of French people. Didn't expect that coming to New Zealand. Wasn't quite the culture I was after. <laughs> in England, I live an hour away from France. <laughs> yeah, I've traveled 26 hours around the world, and now I live in France. <laughs> but the three things I've learned about the French, and I try not to be stereotypical, is that they all either seem to be chefs, artists, or pricks. <laughs> We're living in Ponsonby at the moment. Nice, is very posh in Ponsonby. fact, it's so posh in Ponsonby that even the homeless people are a little bit posh. <laughs> Bought a homeless man a sandwich the other day, but he asked if I could exchange it for one with chia batter bread. <laughs> Don't know if anyone in this room has ever met a woman before? <laughs> Some of you may have girlfriends. (laughs) Some of you may be women yourselves. (laughs) The one thing I've learned about women is that we don't always see eye to eye. Me and my girlfriend were having a row the other day, and she said to me, Danny, you've got to be the most unobservant person I think I've ever met in my entire life, and I think it's your biggest character flaw. I said, I don't see that in myself. (laughs) (laughs) i get a little bit personal now. A few years ago I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. It's all good now, all clear. Good thing about testicular cancer, is the most treatable cancer there is? Kills just 20% of men and kills 0% of women. I know what you thinking, like, this fella's come up here, he's talking about a difficult time in his life. Ballsy, very ballsy. I think <laughs> as I said, I'm all good now. To get rid of it, they had to remove one of my testicles. So I've only got one left. (laughs) (laughs) Judgmental. It's not ideal. And there's a lot of pressure on it. At least that's what my mum says. But on the plus side, I can do a great impression of a grandfather clock. (laughs) After having an operation. I thought people would be sensitive about it. I went back to work and had a colleague who kept singing the Hitler song to me. So he only had one ball and the other is in the Albert Hall. And he keeps sending messages saying, Where'd you have a ball, Dan? Where'd you have a ball? Send me a message back just saying, It's in your mum's
2: mouth.
1: <laughs> it's strange after having after losing a testicle. People kept asking me, Dan, what's it like to have sex with one testicle? I said, it's fine, I just prefer to have sex with vaginas. (laughs) Which I thought was just stating the obvious. I thought it was a strange question to ask, like, are you thinking of downsizing? (laughs) Uh, The first Christmas after having cancer was the hardest. I got a present and I opened it up, and it was a bauble. ball. ball. <laughs> <laughs> Came with a note that just said, Merry Christmas, Dan. Prospects don't come cheap. Yeah. yeah and, uh, my girlfriend wants to go and see the new Nutcracker film. <laughs> For her, it's a great way to enjoy Christmas. For me, it's just a great way to relive some trauma. <laughs> Yeah, I found out recently that I'm actually allergic to peanuts. Now I know I'm allergic to nuts. I lost a nut. I can see the irony behind it all. <laughs> I just didn't know that was how nut allergies worked. <laughs> when I first got diagnosed, I had to go for an ultrasound. So what they do is they take a camera, they cover it in lube, and they just rub it against your testicles, which is a pretty intimate process. So I went in one day, and the sonographer said, Danny, we're gonna get a trainee to do it today. I said, that's fine, as long as you're here. So I went in, I dropped my trousers, got half naked. Yeah. I lay down on this bed, and then in walked this young girl, who was fierce fuck.
2: <laughs>
1: and I thought, oh no. <laughs> now the days before this, i had been thinking, will I have cancer? How far will it spread? Will it kill me? And when I was on the bed, I should have been thinking, Will I have cancer? How far will it spread? And will it kill me? Or I was actually thinking was, please just stay flassy. Please stay flassy. I don't want an erection. She doesn't want to see an erection. And quite frankly, if I got one, it'd be sexual harassment for the both of us. Uh, midway through, she looks up. And she said, is everything okay Mr. Field? I said, yeah, everything's fine, but if you don't hurry up, you'll need a camera to see what's inside my (laughs) testicles. Thank you very much.
0: So here we are for what is actually the second recording of the Danny Field episode. We recorded one episode last night and then someone forgot to click save on the recording. So thank you Danny for coming on for take two of this podcast.
1: It's alright, I'll let you off. Um, I can confirm he spent the whole hour telling me how great of a comedian I was. (laughs) But we don't need to go over that again, so we'll just do the rest.
0: Okay as long as as long as you're fine with that we'll kick off. <laughs> so yeah Danny welcome um very good to have you here. Tell me how long have you been doing comedy for?
1: Um I've been doing it for 4 months now, nearly 5 months. Um yeah, be coming up to 5 months. I've started in New Zealand. Um,
0: you're originally from the UK, is yeah, that right?
1: I'm from the UK. I didn't want to get into comedy in the UK okay Um, I did initially want to do it in Australia so I lived in Australia for a year before I came out here to New Zealand but I was a bit of a bottle job and never actually done it mm-hmm. and then I came over to here throughout the comedy festival and mm-hmm. um, it took me about a month or two but then I signed up and gave it a go and it's been all right so far
0: okay so was it purely the comedy festival that was the pusher? You got inspiration from that? Or was there anything else going on that uh, took you from being too scared to do it to saying, right, that's it, I've got to take the plunge?
1: Um, I think because I'd been, writing, I'd been writing jokes roughly for about a year prior to um, the comedy festival. I hadn't been writing a lot. But I just had some ideas for like six minutes. Writing six minutes seemed like a, like an impossible task at first. Like, you come up with a load of jokes and you think it's like they're good, and then you realise it lasts for about a minute and a half, and so you've got to keep trying to replicate mm-hmm. what you just done. So yeah, I'd been, I'd taken a while to get like, the courage to do it, and then. I had to actually get six minutes together. So when I was over here, I was a bit more urgent trying to get six minutes because I didn't want to go on stage and just like, um, not like just try my luck because uh, I'm not good with public speaking. And uh, I've got better now since I've been doing it, but before I wasn't good with public speaking at all. So if I'd gone up trying to like improv it, I just would have fucking been sat there in silence, like hoping I can get a laugh.
0: It's amazing to hear about all the comedians that. Actually, think or well, not just comedians, um, people who have watched comedy who actually think that it is all improvised um, and that there's no writing process behind it. So, was that something that um, you, you maybe had considered doing just going up and trying to wing it?
1: Um, n- n- no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but you had
0: an understanding that there was a writing process behind it, and in you know, the majority of cases. It's pre-scripted.
1: Yeah, like I know some people go up and they just they'll do it sort of improvise on the spot. Um, well, I, I listened to like the podcast with Russell Howard where he says that like for the first mm. however long he just he went up and just spoke to the audience and things like that. I wouldn't have been able to do that. Like um, when I so like I've never done public speaking before comedy. Like the only time I've done public speaking has been for a job interview or my GCSE English so okay. you got to do the oral test, and but
0: which one was that?
1: Oral says like you get a story. Oh, the oral test, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So oh, you got God, to stand up to in remember. front of the class and like <laughs> just read out your your story, and um, it didn't go well. And then I just avoided public speaking ever since. Okay. So like, I definitely wouldn't have gone up and done improv. Like, there was no way I was. I sure. had like everything scripted and then everything written on my arm in case i forgot to say something like it was as scripted as i could get
0: okay so for someone who hadn't done much public speaking before their first gig talk me through some of the feelings you had in the sort of immediate lead up to you getting up on stage um
1: i so i signed up to do a comedy at the classic mm-hmm. um, so a classic club in auckland I signed up, I had about a month between being told I was gonna do it and then going up to do it. There's was always like a month um, wait. So like, that was a fairly long month. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, the first two weeks were okay and then like, the third week was all right, but nerve-wracking, but then like, the final week before doing it, it was just, I was like, shitting myself every day at work. I like, get moments where I forgot about it, but otherwise I would just think like, I'm about to go on stage and do like, stand-up comedy. Um, and then yeah I remember like first going out like I maybe had like a panic attack on the stairway because it's like the yeah the green room's like upstairs and then you have to cl- climb down to get to the stage and i remember just being on like the stairway like whilst the MC was just doing a bit of crowd work and like, I was shit myself and then like he started saying okay now everybody like a round of applause blah 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 and my heart was going and I was just like fuck why did I do this because there's I, like, you can't back out at that moment. Mm. Like, you literally, you can't do a runner, because so you look like a twang. <laughs> you can, if you didn't want to do it, you could either have told someone beforehand, or you could have just, like, not gone, and gone, like, oh, I thought it was next week, blah, 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 and, like, stalled it out, but, no, that was, like, a point of no return. And uh, I went out, and I absolutely shat myself, but at the same time, it was good. Like, within the first minute or two, I grew into it, and then I actually enjoyed public speaking for the first time. In like pretty much forever.
0: Really, It was a surprise. It's, it's a mad venue to do as your first gig, and a lot of the open micers and a lot of the comedians in Auckland, their first gig was at the Classic. <laughs> and in other cities, you don't really have a venue like it. I think we're really lucky um, at our level to have a venue available to us so big, a um, professional venue, you know, where you're straight away in front of a paying audience. That certainly isn't existent in Sydney or London where I've gigged before. Um, I mean, for me, I you know I was well into um, my open mic comedy career, if you want to call it that. By the time I'd done the classic, and even when I walked into the classic, I mean, I was intimidated by it. Yeah. It's it, 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 it's weird. I, I, I don't want to misrepresent it in any way because um, it's actually a very supportive audience and what Scott does there is really great there in, in it's an incredibly supportive institution for the Auckland scene. But as a venue, it can be quite intimidating, as you say, those stairs going down, you're waiting on the stairs, you're all on your own before the MC calls you out. Um, yeah,
1: like it's a natural comedy club. Mm. Like it's not, it's not like a stage somewhere that's converted into something, or mm. you're not rocking up into like a function room above a pub, or like just the whole atmosphere is like you've gone into a actual comedy club where people are going to pay money, and you could go in and there might only be like five or ten people turn up, but then like the next time you go there could be like thirty, forty people. Yeah. And I've done a couple where it looks like at least half of the room has been filled. Mm. And so that's like a fairly large amount of people to perform in front yeah, of.
0: Yeah, 40, 50, and if that is your first gig, that is, that's huge.
1: Yeah, but the plus side is that the lights shining your eyes. Yeah, you on can't stage, see so anyone. you can't see far, you can only see like the first two rows,
0: so. Mm. And it's often the way in open mic, you can literally see every single person in the room. Yeah. You can see the bored people on their phone, you can see the comedians talking to them, each other in the corner you can see everything but at least with the Classic you A can't see them and you're pretty sure you've got everyone's attention
1: yeah especially if you see someone I don't know if, if you go one night and there's someone that the crowd don't always appreciate or someone in the crowd doesn't appreciate and you can see things like if someone's like hiding their head in their jumper or like I don't know they've got a scarf and it's like over their face like they can't watch if you're on stage at the Classic and you're making someone do that you can't see that yeah. So, like, however bad you... Unless people heckle, that's the only time you'll know if you're doing bad. Have you
0: been heckled at the Classic?
1: Not at the Classic, no. No? It's been... I've only been heckled once, and that was at a pub. But that was, like, the person was... Had just been heckling all night, so it was, like... I don't think One you of could, those... You could do a set without getting heckled. It was, like... Yeah. It was the first time I'd done it. Um, mm. So I didn't really know how to deal with a heckler. Like... I mean, in a normal sense, if someone come up to you and try to mug you off, your instinct your your instinct would just be to tell them to fuck off. Yeah. But like you. You can
0: give as good as you get, and there's nothing wrong with that.
1: But if you're trying to be a comedian, like part, of you, there's something in your head that thinks like you've got a, you've got kind of like a w- really witty response. So like you've got to have like a mm. uh, Jimmy carr style comeback where they just like they're quiet, but you don't have any of those because like people like Jimmy Car have been writing jokes their entire life, they'll have like a, a like a memory worth of, of jokes yeah. just to reel off. So like yeah this geezer was just pretty much trying to mug me off um throughout my set. I told a joke and he just started saying um started saying I forgot what he said now. Can't have been that bad then. No. No it wasn't <laughs> but it was just more the response. But basically he said the stories I was telling like were false which isn't much of a heckle but it was just more the fact that he jumped in midway through at the end of my joke everyone laughed and then he was saying oh did you make that up or did you um did it actually happen it didn't sound as like questioning as that it was a bit more twatish when he jumped in but um yeah like, I didn't really have a response it was just like you know no these are jokes and then I carried on but the only sort of like silver lining in it that I had was later on I've got a story about having testicular cancer so I managed to cut in and say well that was that wasn't made up and then the geezer just sort of like shrunk in his chair yeah so I was uh, I was pulling the cancer card out on him <laughs> and didn't hear any more so that was good
0: I mean that um that is something that you talk about in your set um, having cancer had is there any sort of relationship between that and you wanting to start comedy? No, no.
1: <clears throat> um, I never I'd never wanted to do stand up comedy before I'd done comedy. So or before I started doing stand up. So I always wanted to if anything, if I could get a job within comedy, it would have been say like writing a sitcom or like acting in a sitcom. That was what I thought would be the best thing you could do. But as someone with one GCSE that I had to resit for a year to get, then went to college doing a construction course that I just sort of left after, and then basically just started working in warehouses and call centres and things like that, mm-hmm. there's like no avenue where you can just go, right, now I'm going to write a fucking pilot for the BBC and see what happens. Like, so the only way I could get into that sort of industry would be through stand-up. Mm-hmm. so I didn't want to do stand-up at first and if I could have avoided it, I would have but once I'd done it I'm quite happy just doing stand-up now Yeah. and then like, I'm pretty open about things so like, I mean, when I had cancer said so like testicular cancer to get rid of it, they have to take out one of your testicles that has it mm-hmm. um, it's like the only way to actually get rid of it you, c- you can have like chemo and things like that but they've always got to take the testicle away so I only had one testicle and when I first had the operation, like I'd be on a night out on the piss, and you tell people about it, and it, to them it's like that's a bit weird. And the next thing you know, like I've got my testicle out in a pub, like waving <laughs> it around, and there's a group of like four or five people just like you know bending over, like poking and prodding, and so it was. Uh, it I was mean, quite... the
0: obvious question is, is that going to be incorpor- incorporated no no, 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 into no, no, your no. Set. that was,
1: That was more of a phase than anything. <laughs> it used to be like if i went to the toilet i'd just snatch it out quickly and like the the two or three second picture yeah. and i just send it to some mates so like they'd get it and they'd see it and then they'd realize what they're looking at but like they wouldn't have time oh, to man. screenshot it but um yeah no I, I mean it's been five years since i had it so that was probably like the first two years but I mean, if I'd done stand up then, there's a chance I would have worked it out on stage. <laughs> so I'm probably I'm happy that
0: you're a bit older and wiser now, yeah. I guess.
2: Yeah.
0: Because I think in terms of your material, I reckon that's your strongest part of your set. The reason being, I think the you're able to take something that's um, very se- like a serious subject and almost take all the power away from. Um, from the bad thing by making it very lighthearted and i think that is it, i think it highlights the most beautiful aspect of comedy where we're able to take bad things and negative issues and actually just make it a bit more lighthearted i mean i, I, I don't know if that was something that you'd intended to do
1: um yeah and no like i mean when i first had it i was much taking the piss out of it straight away okay um, it wasn't like something that took me a while to come up with like the first yeah I mean I, I was pretty shameless I, I'd even go into like job interviews and just hoping I would get the job if they would ask for a um, like proof of address so a letter I would get one of my letters from the hospital that said you've got like what, this is your next cancer appointment right and I'd like put it across the table just to see if I'd get a bit of sympathy. <laughs>
0: okay, and that's 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 a new um a new interview tactic. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, I mean, you got, um, you, got
1: you got you got to try and get a job somehow, didn't you? So I I'd like I wouldn't normally cut that on someone, but if if it's between earning a living and not earning a living, <laughs> I was quite happy to put the letter across and just and they go, oh, you had that did you? I'm like, yeah, 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 I did. It was Very difficult. <laughs> so no, it's um with joke, well, yeah, like with right, joke writing, I was making jokes about having cancer long before I thought about becoming a comedian Okay. and it was just quite easy to make jokes about it because some of them I've probably already made Um, in fact most of them I've already made one of the jokes I make refers to me getting it out in the first place Mm -hmm. so that's where the joke for that came from but I'm also used to being in a situation with people who don't know how to deal with with you having had cancer. Right. So, like, my cousin would would play a game where she would bring me over to someone that she hadn't met, or I hadn't met even, and then she would just say, oh, it's my cousin, he had cancer. And she would just try and make the... It would be like one of her friends, it wouldn't just be a stranger completely, but it would be like a try and make the situation as awkward as possible, and then you'd just start taking the piss out of each other. <laughs> and... Uh, what were you... What were the
0: reactions to that?
1: Um, well there was one that was funny because there was someone that was worrying about um, that they'd had a cyst. So okay. a cyst is like a lump, but like it's, it's harmless, it's just like a build up of like fluid and shit. But they were worried that they may have cancer and it turned out to be a cyst and then they were telling my cousin this and they were saying like how worried they were and blah 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 and it was like a big thing for them and then she was like hold on one second pulled me around from the other side of the bar and was like this is my cousin he's like yeah he's had cancer and then like testicular cancer and then the person was like they've been moaning about a cyst for the last 10 minutes and then I come over perspective yeah yeah but no it's just it's you just joke about it pretty much from the start like it's I take the piss out of anything it's things I shouldn't take the piss out of like that are it's finding a time not to take the piss out of something, which is my weakest point.
0: Do you feel that that, in general, is something you do maybe as a coping mechanism to just deal with everyday things in life, to try and take more of a light-hearted view on something that's either serious or sad or maybe something other people wouldn't take the piss out of?
1: Um, probably to an extent, but mostly I'm just used to being centre of attention. Like, young when I was like the youngest child out of me and my brother. And then I come from a big family, so like I was, if you've got like that, uh, like that need to be centre of attention, everyone look at me, you just sort of learn to pretty much try and take the piss out of everything and anything. So it's more just inherent <laughs> but yeah like it's mostly situations where i've got no problem making a joke out of anything but it's sometimes being aware that other people won't realize that that's something that i'm just making a joke about like yeah and take it a bit personally yeah sure but the plus side to doing stand-up comedy is that no one can really be upset with you about that because like if you pay to go and watch someone, whether it's like $5 and you're going to see 10 acts. If you don't like what someone said, then you've you've still sort of entered into an agreement that they're going to go out and say something and you're just going to have to like it or lump it. Mm. So, it's not a bad place to...
0: I think um, something that stand-up comedy does offer is a bit more flexibility to, I mean Some people would disagree saying that stand-up comedy is very censored and you can't say everything that you want, but I do think it does offer a degree of flexibility to take a different angle on something else. I mean, if if you were to do a documentary on, I don't know, terrorism, for instance, you'd have to put a pretty serious slant on it, whereas, I'm not saying it's easy to make jokes about terrorism, but stand-up comedy does present an opportunity for the right person who's sort of clever enough to craft a joke um to maybe make yeah uh, yeah, to take a different angle on it
1: you could probably get someone that would take that documentary and then do the like director's um like narration over it Mm. and they could just rip the shit out of it without also not being a dickhead yeah like it's just finding laughs at inappropriate moments but as long as you're not i mean it's like punching down and punching up mm. so as long as you're not going ah, someone died like if that's the joke then no one's gonna laugh but like sure. if you're making i don't know there might be like a a point you make about like the terrorist and like someone someone else who's perceived as a terrorist and blah 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 then if the joke is about like a um like society viewing someone as a terrorist just because someone else who looks like them is a terrorist then it's a different Mm. different joke altogether
0: i've actually got a bit that um is a really sort of cheap um one-liner uh where i go i was gonna do a joke about a terrorist but i'm afraid that might bomb too and for some reason well i say for some reason i'm pretty sure i know why London does not like that joke I've done that joke in London, and people have gone uh, like they'd either be silence, which yeah. is worse than people going like "Oh and that's the other um that's the other reaction and I don't know. I agree that at the end of the day the audience is the judge and what they say is right but I don't know I think maybe people are a bit too sensitive about that joke because I'm not as you're saying like saying, ha-ha, someone's died. Yeah. It's more like, terrorists, bomb, jokes, bomb.
1: Yeah, and I feel sometimes it's like, they might not think the joke itself is wrong, but they're just not in the mood to laugh at that yeah. subject. And then that's like Yeah, managing. definitely. Because, yeah, I've, I've, I've said something similar on stage in New Zealand, and like, it got a laugh. Uh, I mean, admittedly, it was just to like 10 other comedians, but it got a decent laugh when i done it, but I imagine you could do it in certain places in London and it wouldn't get a laugh.
0: Can you say what it was?
1: Um, I can't remember it in full, but I can't remember it in full, um, but yeah, it was basically just like playing on the lines of like bombing on stage and then referencing that to like an actual. Okay. Yeah. Bombing, but like yeah it's not like over the line or anything but it's just something that like someone might hear you say the word bomb not in a comedy sense and then like automatically they don't want to laugh even though they might appreciate the joke later at that point they don't want to laugh
0: yeah so is there a, a fear you might have that you know you're happy to make light of the fact that you had cancer well not make light of it but include that in your set Um, as a way to make a joke, is there maybe a fear that someone who might be affected by the same thing or a similar thing might take offence to it? Because it's a touchy subject and it's something that not a lot of comedians would touch on.
1: Yeah. Um, No, not really. Um, I think with comedy, it's like if you if you there might be, there's most people have a subject where there might be something that happened to them in their life where they can't laugh about it in when they, when they watch someone make a joke about it but you can appreciate that it's still fair game for someone to make a joke about yeah and that's pretty much how i see most of like unless you're coming out with something that's just like outright like racist like sexist like just i don't know um discriminating against someone mm. it, those sorts of jokes you don't really want to hear but if it is just something that's over the line that like might cause someone to look back on something and oh, go I didn't like that then that's just you get again. Like, yeah. you pay your money you get what you get yeah but, okay yeah no I'm pretty happy with I mean they're not it's easier with testicular cancer because it's like a fairly treatable fairly treatable uh, cancer I think it's like the most treatable treatable cancer I don't know if that's correct words to use but uh, yeah I don't, I'm pretty sure it has like the lowest death rate amongst anyone okay so it's it's not like getting the flu but it's like if you catch it early you're sure. you know what I mean like you're, you're not really going to have much problem with it it's only when you catch it really late that like it can spread right um, like John Hartson pardon me mm-hmm. John Hartson the footballer had it I'm guessing he caught it late because it made it's way up to his brain but then he got cleared of it and he's all good now mm. but I caught it early and it was literally just they took the like, done the operation chopped the testicle off and it's gone mm. so
0: Well, there you have it. Danny Field, everyone. What a fantastic first guest. Tune into the next episode to hear part two of that interview. Like I said at the top of the show, I would love to hear any comments from you, positive or negative. You'll be the people that help me learn to make a good podcast. For now, thanks for listening and goodbye.